This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 359, recorded on Monday, the 29th of January, 2018. Almost the end of January. I know. The time just flies by, my friend. It's We're already a month into the new year. It feels like New Year's was just yesterday. Yeah, it just, uh, just happened. <laughs> it did. Merry Christmas. Well, you know, geologically speaking, it hasn't even happened yet, so... Yeah, that's right. You know. <laughs> it's all happening at the same time. It is. It is. Uh, so, I've had a nice uh, week or so. I had some days off. I was down in Chicago, which was fun. Good. Went and saw a Leaf game down there. Leafs won in overtime on a penalty shot, so it was very exciting. Nice. Yeah. Very exciting. Was it, uh, was it way cheaper to get tickets down there than it is up here? Not significantly cheaper, no, but uh, a little bit, and I also had to pay for two plane t- tickets to Chicago and a hotel room and a num- number of meals and things like that. Well, yeah, there's, you know, additional costs. I'm just wondering about, you know, the seat per seat c- cost. Is it better? A little bit. Not a lot though, but everywhere is better than Toronto because the Leafs charge more than any other team to see themselves play. So, well, you know, I just, I can't bring myself to spend a couple of hundred dollars to go watch millionaires play hockey. I just can't do it. It's, it's you, it's what you prioritize. I mean, you can bring yourself to spend hundreds of dollars on Lego, which I have trouble doing, which I, but I do occasionally, but I also decide to spend my money on hockey tickets now and then. So. Yeah. But then, you know, when you leave, you know, in 10 years, you're going to remember, oh yeah, I remember, I remember that time I went to Chicago and uh, saw the Leafs or, you know, I, I sat down and watched the Leafs play that game. But in 10 years, I'm going to have that Lego that's going to be worth more than when I paid for it. Well, you know, I'm going to have the memories of taking my kids to see hockey games, spending time with them and doing fun stuff. So that's worth something too. That doesn't discount Lego at all. Anyway, <laughs> this is a philosophical conversation that I don't think we're ever going to meet in the middle on. So we should uh, move on to something that we agree on. Well, what we are going to do on the podcast today is probably something we can agree on. And we are going to talk about Black Mirror season four. So that should cool. be fun. We're also going to get caught up on the latest Walking Dead news, and there is some of that. Cool. But first, I just want to talk briefly about our Season 8 Record Your Favorite Scene contest. I have not really mentioned it in the last little while, mostly because we've kind of been in the off-season, right, while we're we're in between the first and second half of Season 8 of The Walking Dead here. But I wanted to bring it up today because there's a bunch of stuff that I've added to the prize pack for it. And I thought I should talk about those things. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, every year on the show, mostly here on the podcast, we do this thing called the Record Your Favorite Scene Contest, where what we do is we ask listeners to choose a scene from The Walking Dead from any season and record it with your friends, with your family, or by yourself, using your phone, computer, however you can record some audio and kind of perform the scene for us. And at the end of the season, Jason and I listen to them all. We pick our favorite and then you, you know, win a big fancy prize pack. So it's fun. We've done it. This is the third time or fourth time we've done it. I, I think third, maybe fourth. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I wanted to run through a few of the things that we're giving away this time. I know there's some stuff that I talked about a number of months ago, like the Talking Dead podcast t-shirt that's in there. Some podcast stickers are going to be in there. Um, 
I think I've already mentioned that we have The Walking Dead hardcover book number 14 in there. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be good. What is new? I think this is new. I managed to get a set of the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive All Out War uh, custom variant cover comic books. And these are what are known as the Shiva Force and Negan Patrol uh, covers. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And they're G.I. Joe inspired. So they've made action figures of these. But at San Diego Comic-Con back in the summer, they released a bunch of comics. And it's all out war, that storyline, with these variant covers. And they are very cool. So I have a complete set of those, which I'm putting in the prize pack. So did you get those on a one-for-you, one-for-me basis? Did you get yourself a set? I, I did. I have to admit okay, I did. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Because that's how I, I acquire things, right? It's always, you know, even when I'm Christmas shopping, it's like, oh, I think my wife would like that. <laughs> I get her one and then I get me one. You don't want to feel left out. No, I don't. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you got yourself a set of those as well. And you're not giving away the only copy that you uh, you seem to have managed to have acquired. No, I did acquire the comics. Uh, you can buy the action figures directly from Skybound if you want to. But at these comics, I think, are only available, you know, at places like eBay and, and uh, resellers or private sell- sales like that. So uh, that's pretty cool. That is going in the prize pack. We also had a listener, uh, Lucky in San Antonio, submit something. He sent us a Carl Grimes Funko Pop action or a figure. You know those things; they're pretty yep, cool. Yep. So that's going in the prize box. Thank you so much to Lucky in San Antonio for that. And the Walking Dead Monopoly is going in Ooh, the prize pack. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's fun. So that should be fun. So there's some really good stuff in there, and you never know; there might be more as well. I recently. Finally got my Walking Dead supply drop number one. Yep. That's been waiting for me in the States for a little while now, but I picked it up when I was in Chicago and I brought it home and there's some stuff in there. I haven't really decided what we're going to do with all the stuff in there yet. So I'm definitely- Just leave us on the fence. It's fine. Well, I'm, I will. I'll, I'll decide sometime in the near future and then okay. some of it might go in the thing and in the prize box and some of it might not. I don't know yet, but just want to say that it's here and so you can expect something uh, special from that box going in as well in the coming weeks. And don't forget that uh, also in the prize box, it's still at my house, which is why you probably forgot about it, but the uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide with a Sarak, the uh, the the Lich Lord on the cover. Right. I did forget about that. You, uh, you should get that to me so I can put it in the, in the, uh, climate controlled prize box and yeah, uh, we got to do a trade. Like you got to bring stuff to work and then I got to go meet you at work. What are you doing on Wednesday? Are you going to work on Wednesday? I am going to work on Wednesday. Are you driving to work on Wednesday? I don't know, but I always drive on Thursdays. So we should do this on Thursday. I don't know if I can do it on Thursday. Wednesday. Well, anyway, we'll negotiate this later, but I think that we need to do an exchange because there's a number of things that we need to, uh, we need, we need to trade at this point. We do. Okay. So, you know, once every eight months or so, we need to get together to, uh, to do a swap. All right. That's a good idea. We'll try to sort this out sometime off the air. So that's what's in there for now. And I want to say one other thing. I don't know why exactly. Maybe it's because I haven't been talking it up as much, but this version of the Record Your Favorite Scene Contest so far has seen fewer entries than the other ones. So that means the chances of winning the prize pack is is significantly increased. For now, it's better. Yeah. So I'm just saying, people, get your entries in. You never know what might happen. There's some good stuff to be had. So, uh, and at this point, 
I mean, the odds are in your favor right now. Yeah. Okay. And I would also recommend that the people that have already submitted entries, that they get on our Facebook page and try to actively dissuade other people from entering. <laughs> right. Because what could... It's in their best interest. It is in their best interest. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's what I think should happen. Right. Facebook.com slash the talking dead if you want to do that. <laughs> uh, but if you want to do send your entries in, the best thing to do is email them to us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll throw them all in there. And I do sometimes play the entries on the show just to inspire you or, you know, so you can hear other examples of stuff. So it's fun. All right, with that out of the way, let's move on into the news. The Walking Dead News. Okay, Jason, there's some news this week to get caught up on. Not as much as the last time, but we do need to go through it. First, some good news, I think. Good. We'll see. Season 8, Episode 9, which is, of course, going to be the next episode that comes along on February 25th. It will be 82 minutes long. Wow. So it's an extended episode. You know how mm. The Walking Dead loves to do extended episodes. This, as far as we know, is going to be the last episode featuring a living Carl. So it sounds like this will be Carl's final episode, and they're extending it to 82 minutes. So who knows exactly what's going to happen, but you have some extra Walking Dead time on the 25th of February when the show comes back. Awesome. Now, Greg Nicotero was talking to Entertainment Weekly. He is the director of this episode, so he had a few things to say. First off, he said, I think it's one of our most powerful episodes that we've ever produced. When I watched the first cut of this episode, tears were coming out of my eyes for 20 minutes. Uh, sorry, tears were coming out of my eyes 20 minutes into it. Wow. So that means that nothing emotional happens for the first 20 minutes, and then, uh, then you start crying. And then you turn on the waterworks, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. He also- I usually cry while watching the, the Walking Dead. Well- Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, but you know, I'm pretty weepy. Generally crying. It gets very dusty yeah. in your TV room. Yeah. Well- That's of course, or, or it's raining. <laughs> or it's raining. Your mascara just runs down your face, you know, turning your cheeks black. It's messy. Yeah. It's yeah. just messy. All right. Well- he, usually I'm in goth outfit, right? Full, full on goth with the black uh, eyeshadow. I know how to put on eyeshadow with the, when I was back in my clowning days. I was uh -huh. pretty good at it. Yeah, I, I know bet how to you put were. on lipstick too. Do you know how to stop banging the table while you talk? Oh, I can do that. Yeah, if you'd like. <laughs> was I banging the table? You were. I'm very excited about being here. <laughs> and wearing uh, black lipstick, apparently. Yeah, of course. All right. That's what I, I always podcast in black lipstick and eyeshadow. <laughs> very good. I was going to ask if that's just a Walking Dead Sunday night kind of thing, or no, it's an all week kind of thing. No, it's an everyday thing. It's, a, it's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, Nick Otero also said this to Entertainment Weekly. It's a beautiful episode, and the people that clearly are upset about losing Carl and questioning where the show goes without Carl, I really do believe that a lot of people will put those feelings aside when they watch this episode because they're really going to get an opportunity to make some peace with it. I mean, that's what I think. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hedge your bets there, buddy. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's just saying that this is a heavy-duty, emotional episode that's probably going to make us all break down into blubbering messes on the floor in front of our TVs. But we'll have to wait and see. I do expect it to be pretty sad, especially if this is Carl dying. Like, watching Rick lose his son is going to be rough, I think. Yeah, well, first he lost his best friend. 
and then his wife, uh, and then some other people, and then now his son. It's going to be, it's pretty rough. It's, it's rough. It's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be difficult to watch, but we'll have to do it and I'm going to have to recap it when we talk about it here. So yeah. Try not to cry while doing it. I will try, but I promise nothing. Okay. Uh, now on to some less happy news. Not that, that was happy news. Anyways, this is different kind of news. I feel this is this, different. This is bad news. Well, I guess so. Depends on your perspective, but Frank Darabont, you remember him. I do. He has filed a second lawsuit against mm-hmm. AMC. So if you recall, he was already suing them from years back uh, about their sort of vertical integration scheme where AMC is selling the show to themselves and not reporting the amount of money that some people think they should and therefore withholding payments to those who have a stake in this show. So Mr. Darabont is suing them over that. And now he has filed a second lawsuit. And apparently what was happening is that a judge in the first case was very close to delivering what's called a summary judgment, determining that whether that first case was going to trial or not. And incidentally, they mentioned that that first uh, suit is worth $280 million. Wow. So I don't. $200 million. $280 million. No, I know, but it's close to $300 million. Oh, three. Yeah. So I don't, um, you know, I don't know if we quoted that number before. I don't recall seeing it, but it's a fair, fair chunk of change. Um, but uh, in, so, so that was about to happen. This judge was about to, re- you know, render this judgment in the first lawsuit. And AMC is saying that, you know, Darabont is just filing this second lawsuit to screw things up so that if it doesn't, if the first one doesn't go his way, then he's got this sort of secondary lawsuit that is, that he can sort of fall back on. Now, Hollywood Reporter had this to say on, on the matter, the plaintiffs state in the complaint that, quote, it is now clear that AMC's wrongful conduct extends well beyond artificially deflated license fees and that AMC has used a variety of shady accounting practices to withhold tens of millions more. So that's what they're claiming. Hollywood Reporter, the article I read, goes on to say, the audit allegedly revealed that AMC is only reporting 20% of the revenue it has received from Apple for iTunes sales of The Walking Dead, that AMC is charging too much in distribution fees for Fox's sub-distribution of Walking Dead in the international and home video markets, that AMC has failed uh, to account for certain product integration fees from Gerber and Hyundai. So I guess they had uh, baby oh, yeah, food yeah. sponsor. <laughs> and, that's that's weird. Su- and that Sundance International Channel, another AMC affiliate, is paying below market license fees for The Walking Dead. That distribution and administration fees are being charged with respect to the music in the show. That expenses include such things as a $37,600 Comic-Con banner with an invoice showing just half that amount and much more. So maybe they just have really crappy accountants. Could that be, or, you know, no accountants? Maybe somebody like me is doing their accounting. It's like, I can't deal with all this income. I'm just going to write it down as 20 bucks. (laughs) Well, I got to think that that would you know, add fuel to the fire. That's for sure. If that was the case. Well, but yeah. I mean, that could be a, a legitimate defense, right? Like we, 
you know, we're not doing this on purpose. We just got the shittiest accounting department that ever lived. <laughs> and uh, they're all union. So we can't get rid of them. We, we can't fire them. They take uh, 15 minute breaks every three hours. And uh, yeah, we can't they get rid drink of so guys. much coffee and they all they do is drink coffee and smoke. They're never in the office. And when they are, all I do is write down twos. I don't understand. Well, listen, I don't think we should disparage anyone who's a member of a union. Uh, that's not what we meant to do here. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just saying that it's, you know, union positions are uh, solid. <laughs> they you should are join solid. a union. I was in a union as a younger man when I had a different I was in job. was the musician's union. Well, there you go. I didn't know they had I, one. <laughs> Is there a clown I union too? I had to hawk my congas in order to pay for it, but I was in the union. <laughs> just nothing to play. <laughs> well, I wasn't playing congas. I was in the clown band, but I needed to be in the clown band. I, I needed to be in the union in order to perform in the clown band. In order to get into the union, I had to pay union dues. In order right. to pay the union dues, I had to hawk my congas. All right. Well, nothing against unions. Uh, oh, no. God, no. Everything's A-OK there with us. Now, anyways, so this is what they're claiming AMC is doing, all this long list of things. And it really just comes down to AMC is not paying us what we deserve, according to Frank Darabont and his legal team. So that's that. Now, since um, since uh, Darabont filed this second lawsuit, AMC in return, or because of that, they've asked for the proceedings on the first case to be halted. And, you know, as I said before, they sort of feel that Darabont is just doing this to have a backup plan. So they're going to say, you know what, go ahead, file your secondary lawsuit. But that means now both lawsuits are going to be stalled or, you know, not doing anything because you're being a jerk. So, so that's what they're for asking for. And, um, on the other hand, as well, AMC is arguing that they have the right to dictate the license fee, as long as it's not less favorable than, uh, other of the show's, uh, profit participants. So they're basically saying, you know, we can, we can license the show for whatever we want. That's that's part of the deal. That's why we own the show. Um, yeah, you should have been better at making a contract. Yeah, well, I mean, me. I'm not surprised that's AMC's uh, standpoint on things, but Darabont doesn't agree. I have one more quote here. This is AMC attorney Oren Snyder, and he says, at the heart of this lawsuit and all the litigation released uh, related to The Walking Dead, it is the greed of CAA. CAA is Frank Darabont's company. Their goal is every dollar for themselves, with total disregard for contracts, clients, fairness, or even basic decency. AMC has been an honest steward of the series and has paid all of its creative partners handsomely and appropriately. This is just another opportunistic lawsuit orchestrated by the most powerful lawyers and Hollywood agents seeking an unjustified windfall, and we are confident that it will be defeated in court. Oh, it must be so hard to be a judge. And have to wade through all the bullshit coming from every angle. To be a judge, to be a lawyer, I know this people do these things, you know, for noble reasons. But man, I agree with you. It must be just mind-numbing to to have to go through all this assume, stuff. Everybody assumes, you know, every time a lawyer releases a statement, it is my client is a paragon of virtue, and you guys are the evil bastards that are trying to bring us down because you're evil bastards. All you want is a dollar, and then the other side, the other side does exactly the same thing. We're just upstanding citizens that are trying to get our fair shake in this world and get you to honor your contracts, and you're a bunch of shithead, money grubbing bastard whores that do nothing but try and screw everybody. <laughs> out of their rightful earnings. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, 
it's so horrible. Well, I guess that's why we have judges and the legal system so that they can cut through all this crap and come to the right decision, hopefully, and hopefully one that rewards the people that are that are kind of in the in the right, at least from a legal standpoint. But you're right. Me that in order to be a judge, you have to harden your heart and be a cynical guy that just doesn't listen to anybody. It's like you're whatever you're saying is complete another bullshit. You know, just give me the facts. None of, don't listen to any of that crap. Just give me the facts. It must be so difficult to wade through all that stuff on a daily basis. Well, it, it, it's got to wear on you, I would think. But anyways, I mean, that's why they're paid the big bucks and they do this. And someday this will all be over. But the way I'm seeing it right now is I feel like this is going to extend beyond the life of The Walking Dead. The show will be over and done, either canceled or finished. And these lawsuits will still be going on, which is I think pretty sad. Well, you might all be dead and the lawsuits will become self-aware and just move on in history on their own. <laughs> it's possible. Humanity will have have gone extinct and these lawsuits will be somehow be off in the in the universe fighting against each other. That's right. They'll become the uh, the new gods. Man. Fight in that fantasy world of lawsuits. That's right. Don't forget, we have Robert Kirkman and Gail Ann Hurd suing AMC too, so. Yep. Lawsuits and lasers. Maybe that's a new RPG. There's something. There may, there may be I a story. I write that down. That, that's not quite right, but it's close. It's close. There's something in there. Yeah, write that down and, and yeah. write a uh, treatment and maybe you can sell a screenplay someday. No, I'm thinking a full-on RPG. There's you okay. know, tabletop RPG. So that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing that I would like. All right. Jason doesn't want to make movies. He wants to make tabletop role-playing games. That's right. Fair enough. Because I'm the biggest nerd ever. I don't, I not only want to play RPGs, I want to make them. Right. (laughs) You qualify. All right. One more news item here. And that is that another actor has joined the Fear of the Walking Dead cast. Again, another one. New ones all the time. Yeah. Well, we talked about two last time we podcast two weeks ago. This time, Evan Gamble is joining the cast. And according to comicbook.com, Gamble will play a character named Enos or Ennis. Uh, a rough around the edges kind of guy who only thinks about himself. That character name is spelled E N N I S. Is that Ennis? I don't know. Well, I'm going to go. I'm, with... I'm 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 hoping for Enos because <laughs> it sounds like penis and anus. It's a halfway between Enos and penis. Yeah, penis and anus. <laughs> so Enos is basically the taint of names. So it's oh my perfect. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Hopefully it's Enos. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I, I hope it's Enos. I won't be able to say that without laughing from now on. Yeah, of course. Well, Mr. Gamble, you may know, I, I have not, I'm afraid, seen anything he was else anything else he was in, but you may know him from the Vampire Diaries. He played a character <laughs> named Henry Waddles. I may, that's bad too. Um, no, I may not know him from the Vampire Diaries. Okay, well, I'm somebody might. He was also in a show called Happen Leonard, played Sneed. Again, I don't know that show. Uh, and some other stuff too, but I'm afraid yeah, nothing worse names in his career. So <laughs> Evan Gamble, at least that's a nice. No, that's an awesome name. He should be named that in every show, <laughs> but the, the character names that he's got attached to him is just bad. Enos, Waddles, and Sneed. That's right. <laughs> that is a law firm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so anyways... Lots of new characters joining Fear the Walking Dead. Writing that down for my lawsuits and lasers game. <laughs> lawsuits and lasers. <laughs> With the firm of Enos Waddles and Enos Sneed. Waddles and Sneed. 
<laughs> okay. It's uh, pretty good. Uh, deep breaths. <laughs> um, I, that's all, that's all I got. I mean, we've got new characters joining Fear, including uh, Lenny James as Morgan. Uh, I wonder if any of these characters are gonna sort of be related to Morgan, like they're maybe Morgan somehow makes his way to the fear show and he brings along somebody with him who knows uh but we'll have to wait and see when when fear comes back for season four later this year all right that's it for the news let's take a very quick break and then move on into our discussion of black mirror we'll be right back would like to help out with the podcast and uh, everything that it takes to get this show on the road here a great way to do that is by visiting us on patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead now if you check out that link that is our patreon site where you can make a small monthly pledge basically to support the show and depending on the level that you choose to pledge at there are a few rewards that you can look forward to. We're happy to announce your name on the podcast, maybe make a shout-out to something that you'd like to promote, or even send you some stickers or something like that. So if you wouldn't mind, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead to uh, to check out those options and, and make a pledge. It is a really great and inexpensive way to help out with the show and uh, we really, really appreciate everyone who does that. So that's patreon.com slash the talking dead. All right, welcome back to the program, everybody. It is time to talk about a show that is not Walking Dead related, but is very, very good in its own right, and that is Black Mirror. So they've recently well, we come... have it is slightly Walking Dead related because we have an actor crossover. Do we? Yeah, the actor in the the first episode, uh, who was the other leader of the uh, the company, was. Uh, what was his name? Started with an M. J- Jimmy Simpson is his real name, right? Yeah, yeah. No, um, he was on Westworld. He was on Walking Dead. Yeah, he was on The Walking Dead, wasn't he? No, well, we'd have cut this out if he was not. Who was? Uh, he was not on The Walking Dead. I don't know. Uh, he was on Westworld. He was on. Hey, he was on Happen Leonard too. <laughs> Apparently, according to IMDb, House of Cards, The Newsroom, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I mean, oh. he's 
God damn it. Who am I thinking of then? He's been on lots of stuff, but not Walking Dead. He was uh, the guy that was hanging out with the governor that uh, ended up dying and killing... um, Milton. You're thinking of Milton? Milton, yeah. That's that's not Jimmy Simpson. I'm sorry. Okay. Who's okay, Walking Dead? (laughs) Anyways, uh, Black Mirror. I'm not good at this TV thing. I don't even know why I bother. (laughs) All right. Well, you figure that out. Uh, Black Mirror season four, it came out right at the end of 2017 on Netflix. This is of course a originally British show and it's still pretty British in a way created by Charlie Brooker. And, uh, it is one of my absolute favorite TV shows, certainly going right now. And in a lot of ways of all time, because I think it's amazing. And as you know, I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan, and this show borrows a lot from the Twilight Zone. Dallas Roberts played Milton. And That's yeah, right. Okay, now that I see a picture of him, I'm like, totally, yeah. That's not the same guy. Yeah, see what happens when I don't do my research just before uh, podcast time? Yeah. all fucked up. All right. Well, that's okay. I understand. It happens. It does. So Black Mirror, there are six episodes in season four. We've previously talked about um, White Christmas. That's what it was called. Their black One of Black Mirror's or Black Mirror's Christmas episode. That was very, very cool. Uh, an episode I loved. And like I said, Black Mirror now has, I don't know, between 15 and 20 episodes over four seasons, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but for, you know, a British show that that is uh, or sort of average. And the most amazing thing to me is I don't think there really is a stinker in the bunch. You know, some are better than others, and I like some more than others. But overall, that is a really, really solid run of episodes because I don't think any of them are bad. Well, yeah, like you say, there's some I liked more than others. And even in this uh, season four, there's some that I thought were like, yeah, that's okay. Uh, but there was, there's some stellar, there's some standouts there for sure. Yeah. There's some, there's some absolutely stellar, like masterpiece type episodes. And there are some for, in, for me that are, that are good. And, and to be honest, I, I feel like nothing goes below good. Like I don't get to that. That was all right. Kind of level for me, which, which I think is just amazing. So, um, now I have notes on all six of the episodes here and we could probably be here all day if we were going to go through each one for you know as long as we do an episode of the walking dead but let's start with uss callister that is season four episode one and the imdb description on this one is a woman wakes up on a star trek-esque ship where the crew prays their all-knowing and fearless captain damn right they do now i should say that we are going to spoil probably most of the episodes of Black Mirror here. Um, so if you haven't seen it and you're interested in I interested in watching it, I highly recommend you go and watch these before listening to us here talk about it. Uh, because oh, yeah, cause, uh, it's, you know, part of the, the fun in Black Mirror episodes is figuring out what's going on and what's going to happen. You don't want, you definitely don't want to go in spoiled, that's for sure. So strong, strong spoiler warning. Yeah, 100%. You don't want this to be ruined if... If you are intending on watching it now, if you've already watched it, then great, then hang out and, uh, let's go through it. So USS Callister, you know, in a way, so this is starring Jesse Plemons and, um, what's her name? Kristen Milioti. That's how, is it Kristen? It's yeah. Kristen Milioti. She, I know her from, um, how I met your mother. Yeah. Won't say more about that. 
Uh, and then of course, Jimmy Simpson that we are already mentioned and a bunch of other good actors. And the, the idea- Jimmy Simpson, who was not in The Walking Dead. I don't know if you know about this, but uh, Jimmy Simpson, who was in this episode, was definitely not in The Walking Dead. Are you sure he didn't play Milton? I'm sure he didn't play okay. Milton. All right, good. <laughs> uh, I am now absolutely positive. The internet has told me and I believe the internet. Good. You should. The internet knows all. So what did you think of USS Callister? This was a uh, original, a bit of a spin on the original Star Trek show, as IMDb said, but of course with a high-tech, um, sort of modern high-tech take on it. And to me, one of the most, honestly, one of the, one of the more terrifying episodes of Black Mirror. I think this episode was probably the best episode of Black Mirror I've ever seen. This kind of, it just ekes out Black Christmas. Really? White, white Christmas. Yeah. White Christmas, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my brain is mush. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. mush it's after fine. Christmas. Fair. And it's a month away. Uh, I love this episode. I think it was the best thing uh, that Black Mirror has ever shown me. Really? It, it. I agree. It was really good. It's not, it's in my top five but it's not the number one for me. Oh, it's in my top one for sure. Yeah, totally. It sounds like it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought Jesse Plemons was great, but the idea here is he is the creator of a virtual online game or a world, like a universe. And, yep. you know, he he, run, he co-runs a company uh, that's running this game, but he's created his own version of it where he can essentially scan in anybody who he has some DNA from and kind of trap them in his own little version of this game, which is modeled after his favorite TV show of all time, which is basically Star Trek. Star Trek. And first of all, I love Jesse Plemons in everything he's ever done. So good. I can't think of anything that I, that he's been in that he wasn't fan fucking tastic in. Yeah. Like, so good. He's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, he needs his own television show. I think he needs his own show and I think it should be this show. I think that this show would be the best show that he could be on. Like the USS Callister, yeah. like take this concept, spin it into a whole show, star Jesse Plemons, let's go. That would be kind of cool. Uh, would you keep the, the real world element to it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would, uh, and I would change out uh, this fictional Star Trek-esque thing for Star Trek. I think that'd be <laughs> even better. Maybe. Like make it a Star Trek show. Starring Jesse Plemons, that is a fantasy world that he's uh, also created. But he is a a, a terrible human being. For oh, what, yeah, he's for, absolutely horrible for what he is doing here. He is he is trapping these people, which are are real representations of them. They know they are there. They know they are trapped, and there's nothing they can do about it. But he's basically holding them prisoner in this world. Until and they, he doesn't even give them genitals. Like, how horrible could that be? Like, right. what, that's that's like the worst part of this whole thing for me. Well, it's a purity that, thing. It's this is this universe he's created is is pure and good, and there's nothing dirty going on. I know, but that's just that's just evil. It is. Like, it's just you know, if you're gonna trap these poor bastards in your own fictional universe, in their own your own fictional universe, and make them sit around on the on the. Uh, uh, the bridge of this starship while you're not there off to work or doing whatever, at least give them something to do mm -hmm. slash genitals. <laughs> <laughs> Those are right? two and one and the same right there. <laughs> yeah. You just, you know, you give them alcohol, give them genitals. <laughs> right. It's, it's just cruel. It's just cruel and unusual. It is. But Jesse Plemons plays a terrible human being in this because of what he's doing. And uh, it's, 
it's he is he plays this character really well because in the real world he's this kind of unassuming guy brilliant programmer apparently you know he's the cto of this company and people respect him for that and they admire him for that uh but it turns out what he is doing is just so friggin evil and yeah. you know i mean the, he's he's the creepy guy at the office and that's and that's like the best way you could describe him right and he gets the stares they say you gotta watch out for him because he starts staring at you he gets a little starey right he gets a little starey yeah. and you know that's that's creepy for sure but mostly harmless i think uh but you know at worst this guy is creating a really toxic workplace to be in and obviously the starship Callister simulation that he's trapping people in in is extremely horrific for these people because they're trapped there and they can't do anything about it um he's also all powerful in this universe right if anybody doesn't fall into line he can do whatever he wants he can take away their ability to breathe so they suffocate to not death because yeah, they just forever they just could keep suffocating forever yeah it's it's horrible. Um, but the whole thing was fantastic. And th one of the reasons this episode works so well is because it it's kind of and and I can say this about all the best Black Mirror episodes. I think it's it's about the technology, but it's also about what people do with it and what it does to people. Yes. And, and what it does to society as a whole, generally. Right. Absolutely. And, and all the best black mirrors have that multi-layer-ness uh, to them, which I really like. So this, this episode was great uh, for that reason. Um, now, do you consider this a parody of Star Trek? You're, you're more of a Star Trek guy than I am, but is this a parody? It's more of an homage to Star Trek. Right. I mean, it, it, is, it is a parody, but uh, it's not in a, in, a, in a bad way. I mean, it's still, it's, it's ridiculous. It takes Star Trek's ridiculousness. Right. And then amps it up a little bit. It does it look the same thing with, you know, everything in technology. It just, it takes what is every day now and amps it up and, and plays with it to see what would happen. They're doing the same thing with Star Trek. They just, they took the Star Trek universe and they amped it up its ridiculousness to see, uh, to, to make a point. And so, no, I don't think it's a parody per se. I think it's more of an homage. I didn't take it. I've always loved Star Trek. Uh -huh. I've watched every episode of every Star Trek, except for the new one, because it's not on Netflix. Uh, and I'll have to wait for that, apparently. Um, so I haven't watched the new one. But other than that, I've watched every episode of every Star Trek. And I didn't take offense to this in any way. I thought it was great. Yeah. It made me smile and happy. And it was part of what I enjoyed about this episode. It, 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 for me, and I, and again, I, everyone knows I'm not really a Star Trek guy, but I feel like it was one of those rare cases where it was, you're right. Parody is not the right word, but it's an homage to it, but also sort of is an entry within the genre. It's like, it's like, um, hot fuzz, right? It is kind yeah. of a parody of cop movies, but it also is a really solid cop movie. <laughs> you know yes that's true that's exactly right it's it's both and i i feel like this was kind of that in that it it works as it works on both levels so yeah. um that's that's really great uh as you said jesse plemons was amazing i was introduced to him in breaking bad all those years ago where uh no what about uh friday night lights 
Oh, shoot. Friday Night Lights. Yeah, you're right. That was probably the first thing I saw him in. Okay. That was the first thing I saw him in. Then Breaking Bad, like, oh my God, such an awesome character in Breaking Bad. Totally. He's good at playing characters that you might not think are the greatest people in the world. (laughs) Yeah. And then the Fargo, his character in Fargo was awesome. Yeah. I was going to say Fargo was great. Um, so, you know, I know him from those shows and I just, everything I see him in, he gets better and better. I think this was one of the best roles I've actually ever seen him do. And, uh, I very much look forward to Jesse Plemons having a long, amazing career doing stuff like this. Cause he's great. And then Kristen Milioti, who, as I said, I know from how I met your mother, uh, was great. I don't think I've seen her in anything else, but she just, she played, this role of the most recent woman to get or most recent character to get sucked into his universe and stuck there. Um, she just played it great. And I think the final scene of the episode was my favorite bit where, you know, they, they do what they're going to do to try to escape. And then they end up in the open free, you know, universe of this game to do whatever they want. And they, as a crew, they realize, we're in a universe where we can do whatever we want. We can go wherever we want. And she becomes the de facto captain of the ship. And the way she just sits down in the chair and the look on her face as the episode, as they speed off into, you know, the void and the episode ends, it was amazing. I thought it was really, really great. And they also nailed um, the other player who they encounter in voice only. Yeah, it was voiced by Aaron Paul, (laughs) another uh, Breaking Bad alum. But they nailed Gamer691 so well, I thought, just as an online persona of someone playing a game, right? He's he's a bit of a dick. (laughs) He's, He's more arrogant and cocky than he'd probably be in real life because he's protected behind a behind a computer screen somewhere. Uh, but, and I, th- I just feel like they got that right. Perfect on the nose. And Aaron Paul did a great job voicing that. Uh, so anyways, those two actors were, were fantastic. The only part about this episode that didn't work perfect for, for me was the real world spy mission that they had to send, um, Kristen Milioti's character on in the real world to help them escape the virtual world. Why not? Well, I just feel like it was a little bit far-fetched. They were able to get her a message that says, you got to like break into this guy's apartment, do all this stuff, order the pizza so he's distracted, steal the things you need, and then get out of there in time. It felt a little too, you know, spy mission-y. A little Ocean's Eleven, James Bondy, you know? it's it, it, It didn't quite work for me. Uh, in the way that I think they hoped it would, but everything else was so good, I was willing to it go. Worked along with it worked for me because the this fictional world needed to uh, work with the real world in order to facilitate their escape, right? So it kind of uh, it you had the character version of uh, n- uh, Nanette, uh, Nanette, that's Christina right, and then uh, and then we had the real world version of her. Uh, having to work together in order to, uh, to achieve this goal. So it was, it was, I was fine with it. Yeah. The the concept is, is, is fine. Like I was okay with the concept. It's just the fact that they had to, what she had to do in the real world, they had to blackmail her into doing it first of all, which I was okay with if they needed her to do something and they needed no questions asked. Fine. You find some. Well, everybody's got nude pictures somewhere that they don't want to get out. 
you find some racy pictures of her and then you tell her, well, we're going to release these to everyone if you don't do what we say. I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. <laughs> as, as a concept within the episode. <laughs> and, you know, blackmail's fine. Blackmail's fine. It's just, you know, it's just uh, when you're trying to wrap it into a story, you know, make it believable. Make it make it believable. I I mean, make it more like the real world blackmail that you've experienced and encountered in your life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I know okay. what blackmail all is right. all about. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, other than that, though, this this episode was great. So a really solid start to season four. I, I've got two problems with this episode. Oh, like, man. That's not perfect for me, but uh, I've got two problems with this episode. That's more problems than I had. And this is your number one episode of all time. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. They're small problems. Okay. Uh, problem number one, uh, apparently we, what, one thing we have to accept in this episode is that uh, taking a DNA sample includes memories of that person right up until the point you get the DNA sample. So she remembers everything. It's not just, you know, her DNA and it's created a copy of this person that has no memories. It has all of her memories up until the, the day before when uh, he got the DNA sample. So we just have to accept that. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. The That's second thing is one of the, the rules. reason she, it, what's that? That's just one of the rules. It's, it is what That's it is. It's just one of the rules. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to pick apart all the Black Mirror episodes, we could pick stuff like that. But the other, the other one is, uh, and this was a bit of a bigger issue for me, is that when uh, Nanette uh, met uh, Jesse Plemons for the first time, she said that she wanted to work for his company because his code was so elegant. Nobody thinks somebody else's code is elegant. I've been a programmer for a long time. <laughs> no one's ever told me that they thought my code was elegant, even though I personally believe my code is extremely fucking elegant. But nobody's <laughs> ever going to say that. Hey, I really like the way you did this. Never going to happen. You know, I agree with you on that. It doesn't happen. I've never looked at anybody else's code and gone, you know, that's beautiful code. I look at someone else's code and go, how the hell did they get this piece of shit to work? Every time. Every time. Like, first of all, does it do what they've intended? Because I can't tell from this garbage. And second of all, how do they manage to think that this might work? I hope none God of your coworkers are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, the code that I'm talking about is not written by coworkers. It's written by code that we've inherited that we have to fix. Sure. No, I've been it's in that always situation. Complete garbage. Totally. Totally. I've been in that situation too. But I know what you're saying. Nobody ever looks at anyone else's programming code and goes, "Yeah, that's beautiful." Now that and being I said, I assume that the uh, the company that is writing this uh, that uh, Jesse Plemons uh, wrote the code for, uh, it's proprietary and it's probably compiled. Which means, how the hell did she see the code to think that it's elegant? Well, you how know- How did she have access to the raw code bef before she started working there? Before she got the job? Yeah. What I was going to say is probably what she means is the whole thing you've created here is incredible. And uh, maybe she hasn't seen the code itself, but just the concept and what they were able to do with this virtual universe is amazing. Ah, then she's a bootlicker. And that I could Deserves see. Deserves what she got. Ooh, that's harsh, man. But that I, <laughs> that I could see, you know, she just, she respects him as a brilliant programmer or, or a guy who came up with the, the ways to do whatever he did kind of thing. Right. And, uh. Well, they were, they were basing him off of Wozniak, I assume. Right. Really? Because it was, you know, him being the developer and then, uh, um, 
Jimmy Simpson being the the front man of this, you know, the two heads of the the corporation, yeah, yeah. Uh, building this elegant thing, and he's the face man, and this guy is the uh, Jesse Plemons is the coder. I assumed that that was based off of Wozniak and Steve Jobs, right? That kind of dynamic. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, so I'm sure there's lots of people that go Wozniak. I've seen his code, and it is brilliant. And there's probably so, just as many people that go Wozniak. I've seen his code. It's garbage. It's <laughs> gotta, complete garbage. How did he got it to work? I'll never know. We got to start over. Like <laughs> He's either a genius or a lucky idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a little bit of both of those in all of us, Jason. Yeah, there is. There is. So that, that was it. That was the only two problems I had. All right. Well, anyways, otherwise an amazing start to season four. And we talked about Black, uh, USS Callister a lot longer than I expected. So episode two was called Archangel, and IMDb says this about it. After nearly losing her daughter, a mother invests in a new technology that allows her to keep track of her. So that's exactly what happens here. Uh, a mother has a daughter. They have a scare when the kid goes missing uh, after chasing a cat out of a playground. So she goes and has an implant put in her head, which allows the mother to basically keep track of everything she does to see out of her daughter's eyes, always know where she is, and um, basically just be monitoring every moment of her life. And to filter out stuff that would upset her. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's the most disturbing part of this whole episode in my no, mind. No, it isn't. The, the big brother monitoring of this person able to monitor her 24 hours a day for her entire life is less disturbing than uh, filtering out possibly disturbing imagery. Okay. I, I understand what you're saying. The, the, the fact that this is even available in this universe is terribly disturbing, but I think the, the idea that you can block out anything that you might consider upsetting to someone is disturbing. And especially for a little child, like it, like it, you put this in a three-year-old kid and then they're walking down the street and there's a barking dog. The dog's a little bit scary. You know, what's, what's scarier for the kid seeing a dog barking, which is something dogs do, or seeing a weird blobby blurred out pixel thing, not really barking, but making creepy noises at you. I find that terrifying. It would be terrifying, but I think you would get used to that. I, I think that blocking out the barking dog is inherently dangerous because what if that dog wasn't behind a fence? You know, being afraid of something is very useful. And that's what I mean. Like, you have to learn to respect things that are dangerous and be afraid of things. And kids learn that by their parents teaching them or by trial and error. You know, you don't yeah. touch the hot uh, plate or the hot element. You, you'll only do that once yeah. <laughs> until you learn Daddy's that it's coffee, dangerous. It's hot. Exactly. Um, and, and I just feel like blocking out that kind of experience in life is not going to work out well in the long run. And that's kind of what I mean by disturbing. You're really, really negatively affecting the child's like growth and upbringing by doing that sort of thing. So, yeah. Anyways. But as a society, being able to monitor somebody 24 hours a day uh, is equally as disturbing. On a societal level, absolutely. Totally disturbing. Yeah. One thing they don't get into. So the way this episode plays out is it, it spans probably a, a decade to 15 years of time uh, from when the kid first has the implant done to when she is a teenager and is 17, 18 years old, you know, 
starting to hang around with boys, having sex for the first time and so on. And um, after the mother has put away the monitoring device for a number of years, she yep. breaks it out again and starts interfering in her daughter's life uh, when she comes across her kid, her daughter doing some things she doesn't necessarily think are good or agree with. Yeah. And that's the part of the episode that bothered me the most is mm -hmm. that uh, she took a piece of technology and put it away and then took it out years later and it worked. <laughs> and it worked. Now she had right. to plug it in. I've got a Palm in. Pilot in my drawer right now that I wish worked, but it does not. No. Uh, even if you plugged it in, would it work? Probably not. No, it's, the screen's all pixelated. It's, uh, it's basically a hunk of plastic at this point. All right. It sort of boots up. It sort of doesn't, but I wish it did, man. If I, if I could use a Palm Pilot, can you imagine walking into work and uh, taking notes on a Palm Pilot? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> you would awesome. have, you'd have every right to comment on the crappiness of other people's code if you were taking notes on a Palm Pilot. Yeah. That's like, uh, driving to work in a, an IROC Z. I'm not sure how, but let's go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as nerd cool goes, I think it'd be, it'd be the right. same. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so yeah. And what this episode back to Archangel, what it doesn't really get into is the, the greater implications of this technology. As you said, it's the scariest thing in the world to think you can put something in a kid like this and monitor them for their whole life. It doesn't really get into that. It's really about the way it affects this mother and daughter, how it, messes up their relationship and then ultimately they come to a head towards the end of the episode and uh it tears them apart forever right so um you know i think i did like this episode but it could have maybe been better i think if it addressed some of those larger issues that being said there's nothing wrong with a more personal story like this and i think overall it was still pretty good um, I did well, find they kind it kind of addressed it in the last episode, uh, black museum where they referenced this and they said it was only released in a limited market, right? Like yeah. it wasn't a society wide thing. It was a, it was a, a, you know, a beta test. Right. Yeah, you're right. Um, but that wasn't part of this episode. You know, we have to no, watch the, the final one to, to get into that. Um, but uh, overall I found this one pretty tragic as a story between this, this mother and daughter. Um, I did, I did like how they used the, the content filter at the end of the episode when, um, Sarah, Sarah, the name of the daughter. Yeah. When Sarah, uh, has essentially lost it and she's, <laughs> she's beating up her mother with the tablet device that her mother uses to monitor her <laughs> and the filter comes on. So out of her own eyes, she can't really see what she's doing and she yeah. can't really see the pain that she's inflicting on her own mother. And, you know, the question for me is, would she have done this anyways, or is she so immature when it comes to that sort of imagery, would she have not have understood what she was doing anyway, doing to her mother anyways, right? And that's the big question for me. And that's why yeah. I think it screws up the development of these kids, or at least I think that's what they were trying to say in this one. Yeah, I, I agree with you that, uh, you know, that was uh, the fact that that filter came on uh, basically gave her, a you know, a level of disassociation with what she was doing. Right. You know, whether that was, uh, you know, endemic into, in her personality or whether it was just that filter coming on at that time, 
I don't know. And that's the, you know, that's a, that's a good question. The kind of, those are the kinds of questions that Black Mirror raises, which I really like. It does. And it, it comes down to, for me, as I was thinking about it, did this technology give her the ability to hurt her own, her own mother like that, and then subsequently leave her there on the floor and leave her forever and sort of go away and never come back. So without that technology built in, would she have been able to do that? And, uh, I don't know, but I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think, I think having it in there, you know, desensitized her, her enough that, that this wouldn't have been something she'd been able to do otherwise. So the whole thing backfired for them. You know what this episode taught me? What? That no matter how much you try to help your kids, you're probably going to end up screwing them up in your own specific way. And that's, yeah, that's not, I think that's something that has been true for raising children since the beginning of time. (laughs) You try and you try and you try, but you gotta, you know, they're going to have problems and it's going to be your fault. You just got to hope that you get like 51% good and the 49% screwed up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And not the other way around. So, uh, directed by Jodie Foster too. uh, My son has got my, uh, my love of cheese, so I'm happy. Perfect. That's great. That's all he needs in life. A good, healthy yep. love of cheese. Uh, this one directed by Jodie Foster, too. Jodie Foster. Yeah. True. So there you go. All right. That's Archangel. Episode three was called Crocodile. Now, I have to admit, this is the only episode of season uh, four that I did not watch a second time. Because I really? think this was the weakest of all of them. And this was the second weakest in my book. We'll get to the weakest. All right. We'll get to the weakest. Uh, yeah, I did not. There were things I liked about Crocodile, um, but overall, I think they kind of went a little too far on this one. Um, and that's just a personal opinion of mine because they've done things in other episodes like season one, episode one, that I don't necessarily think went too far, but I'm in the minority on that. I forget what episode one season one was. Oh, I'm, you wouldn't if you, well, I'm I'm surprised, but anyways, the, the description on Crocodile is a woman interviews various people using a device that allows her to access, access their memories. And that aspect of this episode I thought was really great. But the basic storyline here is as a teenager, a woman is involved in a car accident, uh, which kills a cyclist. And her boyfriend at the time and her decide that they're going to hide the body instead of going to the authorities. And later in life, that guy shows up with, uh, you know, shows up in her life again, uh, the boyfriend anyways, and she ends up murdering him. And then from there goes on a murdering spree to cover up her original crime um, to try and, you know, not get caught. Right. And this episode, you know what, you know what I learned from this episode? Don't murder people. No, I, well, I, I learned that previously to this episode, but you know what I learned from this episode? What's that? You can get away with killing babies on a television show. Well, off screen. Yeah. Off screen, of course. Um, that baby died it because is. of what happened in this episode. And that's, that's, I mean, I know that happens right at the very end. But that is a little bit where this episode lost me. I think they went a little too far with the murder spree. There was too much murdering for me in this one. Uh, characters I liked got murdered, especially the uh, insurance investigator who was 
who for me was the most interesting character. And she was the one using this interesting technology that allowed people that allowed her to access memories. So she's going around interviewing people to try to get a, uh, to get a picture of the events that occurred, um, that the main character who was the murderer was sort of accidentally involved in. And I, I liked all that stuff about it, but it just, it just went too far for me. So at the end, yeah, she ends up murdering a baby. Uh, and then there's a twist around that. And the, basically the final scene of the episode is the investigators are now going to use this memory technology on a friggin' hamster that was in the baby's room and they figure would have witnessed the crime. Yeah, because hamsters have great memories, right? Oh, like their memory probably lasts as long as it takes them to walk from one end of their aquarium to the other. What do you call hamster? Not aquarium. A cage. It's a, it's cage. a hamster cage. Okay, whatever. Cage. Uh, a warren? Could it be a, a den? Den. Uh, terrarium? No, I don't know. No, a terrarium is more lizards. Right. So I, I, it's not that I... I question the length of a hamster's memory. I question the, the whole concept that they're going to use technology to look into a hamster's brain and get its memories. Like it, it almost goes against the way the technology was used earlier in the episode, because you have to talk to the person, you have to prompt them with, with smells and tastes to get their memory going right of that particular moment. And then this machine kind of shows a picture of it so they can figure out what's going on. How do you do that with a hamster? You can't communicate with it. You're just going to plug the hamster into this thing and hope it thinks about the right thing. Like I thought and it's it, not going to be able to recognize one human from another, right? We all right. look like stupid tall apes to them. I don't think dogs. Like, okay, that's an ape thing. That's an ape thing that feeds me. You know, it's just it yeah, they're not going to be able to recognize individuals. It's like if you you know, a, a hamster walks into a room and murders another hamster. And then later on, you've got a lineup of 57 hamsters and you got to pick out the murderer. I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen right. in reverse and, and either. we're humans <laughs> and we can remember things. But, you know, that uh, that cross-species border for, uh, you know, picking out facial features is <laughs> really a tough pitch. It's, it's really tough. Exactly. So I liked the first half of this episode. The idea that she's trying to cover up this thing she did in her past is fine. Then it gets too murdery and they go to the dumb hamster finish and... Uh, so that was that. So it lost me. It lost me at the end, even though there was some interesting bits in it. This was the weakest episode of the season for me. Yeah. All right. Me. Hang the bad. DJ. Hang the DJ is next. This is, what does IMDb have to say about this one? It says, paired up by a dating program that puts an expiration date on all relationships, Frank and Amy soon begin to question the system's logic. So this, on the contrary, was one of my favorites of the uh, season right up there with USS Callister. And is that because you, you secretly want to have expiration dates on all your uh, relationships? No, I think one of the reasons is that this is one of the rare black mirrors with a happy ending. And I'm, it is a happy ending I'm, at the, uh, 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 it is rare, but, uh, and I have a happy ending. I'm not saying that, uh, that I crave that with things that I watch, but you know, Black Mirror can be a pretty bleak show and they tend to focus on the, the problems 
or the sort of the downsides to the technology. And, and here we have one where everything kind of works out in the end. Sort of. How do you mean sort of? I mean, of? well, a lot of these Black Mirror, you have to take into account the whole season as a whole, right? So the season as a whole uh, has to do with uh, taking consciousness and putting it into a electronic form. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of these episodes have that kind of, uh, uh, you know, that thought of having that consciousness in an electronic form. And is that, you know, an, a, a legitimate human being with a soul? Is it actual consciousness? Is it sentience? That kind of thing. So in this episode, they're taking consciousnesses and putting them in this this programming, programmed environment, and they're treating them like shit. And most of the time, uh, they're not happy. Right, they uh, they put them through relationships that are unpleasant and or short when they could be pleasant. Uh, they're taking away free will. Uh, it is uh, they're basically torturing these consciousnesses in order to uh, facilitate a dating service outside of this world. I think, yeah, but I think you're right. It's a theme throughout the whole season of of taking consciousness and putting them in in something else. This is very clearly a simulation though right and it's all happening uh i don't know if instantaneously is the word but it's it's all happening in a very very short period of time the way this ends up is it's a dating app and the dating app is running simulations to figure out who your perfect match is and it does with 98 point what is it? 98.5% accuracy. It figures out the perfect match because 998 times out of a thousand, uh, they escaped from the simulation is basically what happened together. Well, I doubt that as well. I mean, if you're going to put yourself, we're going to put people into a situation where, uh, their free will is taken away and that they want to have a relationship and they can't, then you're going to try and circumvent that. And that's kind of puts you in a, an unrealistic uh, situation saying that, oh, you can't have this cracker. Well, what more do you, what thing would you more want now than the thing you can't have? Uh So you put them in a situation where they can't be together. Of course, they're going to try and rail against that and try and uh, be together because they're not allowed to be. So I think that the 98 point whatever percentage is skewed based on that. Well, it's funny because I never really thought of this as taking away their, their free will. I saw it more of you, you put them in these situations. Sometimes they are in a relationship together and sometimes they are not. And my first thought was, you know, if this is all a simulation, why are they paired with other people? How does that help? How does that, um, inform what their relationship might be like. And I kind of realized that even when they were in relationships with other people, it looked like the system was bringing them together, you know, as not a couple at that moment and gauging their interaction and using that data to figure out how they, um, they interact with each other when they are with other people of, you know, various levels of happiness. So, and, and I kind of realized that. Um, and I thought, well, this all makes sense now because yes, they're with other people, but it's all about figuring out how they interact with each other. Um, but I never really thought of it as them, as, as it taking away their free will. It was to get their reactions to different sorts of dating scenarios and figure out what it is about the two of them that would work if they were together. 
So yeah. I don't know. And forcing them together and tearing them apart and then bringing them back together and then tearing them apart again. <laughs> That's, of course you're going to want that thing you can't have. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but the point is they, they came together 998 times out of a thousand. And that's, they railed against the reality of the situation 900 and some odd times uh, out of a thousand. I don't know. I think you're looking, I think we're looking at it from different perspectives. I'm taking the, so I'm taking the, you know, they, you, yes, you want what you can't have, but it brings you together. And you're sort of saying that you want what you can't have and you're going to do whatever you can to get it. And it's not genuine. I, I think the, uh, I think the numbers are skewed for a couple of reasons that they, they're, they're not real. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, then the one guy she was with that kept taking a drink and going, <sighs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> My son does that. Jasper does that when he takes a drink. Um, I never get tired of it. I think it's the best thing ever. Okay. But every time he takes a drink, he goes, <sighs> I'm going to venture awesome. that you have a different relationship with your son than you would with a woman or man that you were dating. <laughs> well, yes, so but I still think that that quality in the only other human being that I know that does that, I think is awesome. Okay. <laughs> so well, I did not, it did not bother me in, fair, in that relationship whatsoever. Fair enough. But you are not Amy and uh, Jasper no, is true. not that good looking dude. See, and now that, that is what free will is all about. She doesn't like it. Why is she stuck in a relationship with that meathead? You know, and I, I really like it and I don't get to have a relationship with that guy at all. <laughs> well, we got to get this dating app up and running and maybe you can, my friend. Well, only in a simulation. He might not be real at all. Yeah. He's, he might not be. He's not because everything disappeared as they climbed out. Remember? Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that uh, they're not actual real other people that okay. they put into the simulation that they got from other places that weren't being tested at that time. They got this data bank of all these people. Actually, that's they true. Th hammer all these meatheads together and uh, try and see if this match works. I think it's an unreal, it's like getting together with someone in a stressful situation. It's the whole problem I have with The Bachelor. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same problem I have with The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or Bachelor in Paradise or there's all kinds of shows. Uh, <laughs> and you watch all you of them. You put these people, uh, I, my wife watches them and my mom watches them. And when my mom comes to visit or we go to visit my mom, there's conversations. And I, I can't be in the same room as Jenny watching this because I'll end up yelling at the TV every single time. <laughs> and the problem is, like, I, I'm sure that these are lovely human beings, but they're put in a situation where... I, they're forced to go on a date with this, with the person, like if it's a bachelorette, all these guys are trying to go on a date with her and the dates always invariably end up being majestic, romantic, amazing dates in unrealistic situations. Whereas a normal couple that is just starting to get to know each other end up going to a bar and getting drunk and uh, for whatever reason, getting jealous and mad or some weird situations, like you wake up in the, at somebody else's house and the toilet's overflowing and you have a fight about that. Not that that's ever happened to me, but it's completely an unrealistic situation. At the end, there's a proposal sometimes, there's a proposal sometimes not, but they then have to go off into the real world and interact with each other. And they're completely unprepared for that. And this is the problem I have is that they're putting these people together in a completely unrealistic situation. The chances of surviving that in an intact relationship are 
completely astronomical. So did you like this episode or not? I did not. So of the, of the six, like, is this lower no. half? No, I mean, I just, I'm not asking I you to rank I didn't them. I believe but... this episode. Right. I, I sort of liked the situation, uh, and stuff, but I just, it, it didn't strike me as any kind of, uh, reality. Interesting. Well, well obviously it wasn't reality, it wasn't. but yeah. it just, it didn't, uh, it didn't sing to me, let's say. Interesting. Well, that's, that's curious. This is the one, this is the episode for this season that has the highest overall ranking basically on IMDb, but also just in oh, general. That's because it's a happy ending and it's love. It's like, oh, you know, if we get together and hang out together in paradise for six weeks, of course we can survive anything. No, you absolutely cannot. Maybe. Everything's paid for and yeah. you're in a completely uh, curated situation. Okay. I can see your point. Um, but I, there are a few things about this episode that I, that I really liked and I'm just going to list them off here. First one is that um, because this is Black Mirror, maybe because it's Black Mirror and from what we know about it, you tend to go in, or at least I did, assuming that something nefarious is going on here at the beginning. They seem to be trapped in this place. As you said, may, maybe they have no free will. They're being stuck in these relationships that may or may not be good. Uh, they maybe they're prisoners here for some reason. Um, and that's your assumption going in. And then they turn that on its head at the end. And I thought that was a really good storytelling technique. Um, and I've also said, or maybe not said, but I've believed for a long time that the best stories provide everything the viewer or the reader or whatever needs to know throughout it, even though you may not realize it at the time. And I thought this episode did that very well. I mean, in the middle of the episode, there's literally a scene where these two characters are talking about being stuck in a simulation. And, and you don't know that. You, you don't know that that's actually sort of what's happening until the very end, but they basically said it right there to you. And I realize that's a very literal example of that. Um, but I like it when a piece of a movie or a TV show or a piece of art gives you all the information you need to sort of figure out and put together everything that's going on, but you don't even realize it at the time. So right. I appreciated that. Um, related to my first point, I kind of felt like this whole episode was a bit of a tragedy until the very end, and then it's not. And I, I enjoyed that. It's a, it was a, a big reversal. And I think for me, the whole thing worked really well. All those reasons worked really well, partly because the two actors they cast in it were relative unknowns. I didn't recognize them from anywhere. It's not like we had some known actor in there and you're going, oh, that guy plays Daryl Dixon on Walking Dead. I mean, what's he doing in this, right? No, we had these two people who were great and I had never seen them before. So I kind of believed them as real people who were struggling to find a date. So, yep. uh, Anyways, this was, I'm, I'm upset to hear that you didn't like it because this is one of my favorites of the season. Uh, well, I, you know, I, it's, and fair I'm enough. having trouble. I'm having trouble now because at the time, until I started talking about it, I liked it, but I think I've talked myself out of liking it and that kind of bothers me. Well, that I can apologize happen. for it. That's okay. That can happen. That's fine. I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. So, uh, it's, it's like when you, you know, you ever go to camp 
you ever go to like two weeks to camp when you were in your mid teens and you end up, uh, you know, meeting someone there and it being uh, a wonderful situation and you, you know, spend days together and you want to talk and all you want to do is be together. Then you get back to the real world and you can't stand each other (laughs) because it's not the real world. It's a, it's a, it's a curated situation where all your meals are provided and you live next door to each other. Uh, for two weeks and everything is perfect. It's camping. It's, you get to go canoeing, you get to go swimming. Everything's wonderful. You get back to the real world and you got to work at McDonald's and you can't go out with that person because, oh, but damn it, I have to work at McDonald's. Like, oh, well, I got to go to work at Dairy Queen. And you're like way across town from each other. And you like, at the end of the day, you're like, ah, fuck it. (laughs) And the relationship crumbles afterwards because it's not real. Your, your examples are always so weirdly specific. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've never been to camp. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? I just never watched worked in McDonald's. I just watched Wet Hot American Summer over and over again. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, uh, I've, I've thought about this and it's my biggest problem with all of the Bachelor television shows. Yes, there's drama. Yes, there's, uh, entertainment there, but, and I, yes, these are all probably perfectly lovely people, but it's not a real world situation. Of course, they're going to break up afterwards. And well, why, that... oh, why don't they have a same sex bachelor show? If you have a bachelor and a bunch of dudes that want to have a date with this guy, you're going to get so much more drama. You're going to have like people, all the people in the house wanting to date the bachelor dude, they're all going to be like having sex and uh, getting into whatever situation it's going to be like so much better than the actual you know heterosexual bachelor bullshit uh, i'm surprised they don't have that to be honest i would I am know, too i'm i'm floored that they don't have that i think it's a fantastic i'd watch that all right well let's can we move on please <laughs> let's move on to jason's least favorite episode of the season i'm guessing called metalhead metalhead i did not like this i found it boring I wanted to turn, I did not watch it a second time. I didn't want to finish it the first time. Interesting. Well, IMDb has this to say about Metalhead. In the post-apocalyptic landscape of the Scottish Moors, a woman attempts to survive the land full of, quote, dogs, end quote. Uh, Now, this one was interesting. It was shot in black and white. It was very self-contained, even though they all are, but uh, I felt this one was just something about it was even kind of less expansive than some of the other episodes uh, about a woman who is, as IMDb said, in a post-apocalyptic world, and she's being hunted by a robot dog, basically a robot killing machine uh, inspired by that, um, what's that company, Boston Electronics or something that makes that weird, creepy, big dog robot? Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics, yeah. Uh, And... I liked this episode more than most people. I didn't mind it. I heard it described as a genre exercise, which I think describes it well. It is basically a pretty straightforward episode about survival against, you know, a machine, killing machine. And it's, it was, it was okay for me. I, I did watch it twice. I kind of enjoyed it. I almost enjoyed it more the second time, to be honest with you. And, um, and I was okay with it, but that being said, I don't have a lot to say about it. It's just sort of her trying to get away from this dog. I thought the, I thought the dog robot dog technology was, was scary and kind of interesting and her just trying to survive and get away 
was was enough for me for this one. Yeah, I just I found it uh, derivative of so much else, including yeah. The Walking Dead. Right, and it's, that, it's basically the relentless march of death coming after you, no matter what you do. Eventually, it's going to catch up with you, right, one way or the other. Yeah, a little. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be reasoned with. Whatever that, you know, the Terminator, blah blah blah. I was going to say a little bit of Terminator in there too. You know, um, I, I, I must admit, I, I would have liked a little bit more to it, like what caused this apocalypse? What is the deal with these dogs? Why are they there? Like, what's the purpose of them? Was it a robot yeah. uprising? I mean, I, I, I admit I would have liked some more context for all that stuff, but for what it was. Well, in the, uh, in the series, you know, in the, uh, the genre of the entire season, why not have a, uh, you know, the dog is not just a robot dog that's hunting them. Maybe the dogs are populated by the minds of other people that are pissed off that these human beings still have their own bodies and that they want to kill them for revenge. Well, yeah. I mean, there could have been, could have been that, could have been whatever. You're right. But that's what I mean. Like maybe just one extra level of detail here might've made this episode that much better. And it was, yeah, that, I think that, that kind of nails the, uh, my problem with it. It was that it, it was flat, predictable and done before. Sure. Um, I must admit I did not need the final shot of the episode. I'm not, honestly, I'm not even going to say what it is because this is one of those things where I know we've spoiled a lot, but uh, this is one of those things that it didn't add anything to the episode. In fact, I thought it kind of took away from it. It was, it was gratuitous and unnecessarily trying to like go for the heartstrings a little bit. So I, I don't think the final shot was, was good. Um, the one scene I, well, I kind of liked and sort of didn't like, there's a scene where she's hiding in a house from this robot dog and she manages to throw white paint on it, blocking out its sort of optical sensor or whatever. And yep. I liked that. I liked the, the idea of it. I thought it kind of was, I thought it looked sort of cool. Um, but then I realized she's also holding a shotgun in that scene. And it feels like the perfect opportunity to shoot the stupid dog and kill it with the shotgun, which happens later, but. That's what that kid did with old yeller. Spoiler alert for old yeller. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, okay, she's got paint on the thing. It's distracted. It can't see her shoot it. You're basically point blank with the thing, shoot it, but she runs away. So I did think it was a little bit silly in that scene as well. Um, and this episode decidedly does not have a happy ending. Um, unlike the last one. So we're back to more typical black mirror here. Uh, but I kind of agree, even though I didn't mind this episode, it was probably the weakest one of the season for me. Yeah. So I didn't like it. All right, finally, episode number six, Black Museum. And this is the first time an episode of Black Mirror uh, is enhanced if you've seen the other episodes. Whereas yeah. pretty much, you know, throughout the rest of this whole run of this show, you could watch them in any order. Um, but this one, I'll, I don't think it takes away, if you haven't seen the other ones, if you for some reason watch this one first, I don't think it takes away too much. But... It certainly helps to have seen the rest of the season because, um, as IMDb says, a woman enters the Black Museum where the proprietor tells his stories relating to the artifacts, and many of those artifacts are from other episodes of the show. Yeah, it's basically, if you've seen the other episodes, you get a layer of Easter eggs. 
Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, and then this is almost an anthology within the anthology because there are more or less three stories going in this one, uh, which do all relate to each other in a way, um, but especially more two out of the three. Um, and this one's, one was directed by Colm McCarthy, and that's the dude that directed The Girl with All the Gifts. Oh. So we got some directing pedigree here on this one. Well, that's why I didn't like the ending. You didn't like the ending? You like this episode overall, though? I liked, this, I liked the first two stories. The third one I didn't like. So the third one was kind of the one that framed all of them, right? That was the one that we were following kind of that wasn't a flashback. Yeah. Hmm. So what was it about that well, one that you didn't like? Well, are we going to jump ahead like that? or? Well, I, I don't know that we need to go through through each one. So she goes into the museum and the proprietor there is telling her about his past in different jobs. One of them involves um, a doctor who gets an implant so he can feel the sensations and pain of his patients and better diagnose them. I thought that was a cool story. Got a little gruesome, you know, a little gruesome when the guy decides he's addicted to pain and starts cutting himself and things like that. That was gross. Uh, Well, yeah. And the only way you can, uh, I liked that story because the only way you can actually get addicted to that kind of, uh, self mutilation is by uh, having a method of feeling self mutilation without actually getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, you know, if you start that off by hurting yourself, eventually it's got to either stop or you're going to die. But this guy, because of the, uh, the implant was able to feel that without any actual self mutilation until he was no longer, you know, allowed to. And then it, uh, he'd already, you know, he was already amped up to 11. So he needed to, uh, to feel that again. And the only way to do that was self mutilation. I really liked that story. I think that was my favorite one of these three. Yeah, I, I like the story too, um, based on an idea created by Penn Jillette, eh? The magician. Yeah. That guy's got some twisted mentality. <laughs> I swear really, to God. He really does, but. <laughs> I would, would I would give my eye teeth to see Penn and Teller in Las Vegas. I really, really would. But that Penn Jillette guy, I can't watch him in anything other than when he's doing Penn and Teller because he just seems like a twisted individual to me. Sure. Well, hey, he, he came up with this story. Uh, I did like it. Basically, the doctor goes crazy after he's feeling someone's sensation and they die. So he experiences the sensation of death without dying. And that's what sort of sets him on his path to crazy town. Yeah. Uh, so that was a good story. Um, what was the second one? That was the first, this was, was this the first story? That was the, the other doctor one was, was the, first story. Uh, the lady that got uh, put into the other guy's mind. Right. So a couple, um, have a, have a kid. She gets hit by a car and is in a coma. And, uh, then the museum guy comes along and says, we can put her consciousness into your brain. So she's always there and you can talk to her. She can see what you're seeing. And you know, she's, she's always there inside your mind and things don't go so well. Yeah. That this one was scary for me. I love my wife. I love her so much, but I would not want her in my head all the time commenting on everything I ever do. No, I, I don't think anybody would want that, um, of their spouse or anyone. <laughs> and not being able to stop it. I, he does, you know, eventually have a, a pause button, mm-hmm. <laughs> which just, you know, it gets to the point where, uh, it, it's cumulative, right? You pause and you're just like, okay, she's on pause man, she's going to be pissed off when I unpause her. And that it just continues to snowball and snowball and snowball until like 10 years later, you're like, I can't, 
unpause her. Like, I can't do it. It's too late now. She's going to be so mad. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a scary concept for sure. And I, I think this, both of these stories, it's another good example of Black Mirror giving us a technology that is just kind of there. And it's not so much about the tech, but what it does to the people, right? It drives the doctor insane. It ruins this couple's relationship because she's always in his head and uh, he's trying to raise their son and move on with his life in a way, but you know, she won't let him. So I think both of these are really great Black Mirror episodes and both of them, in fact, all three storylines in this episode probably could have been their own episodes. But they, oh yeah. And then they, she goes into the teddy bear, I think with only the two, you know, responses that she could have. What is it? I love you and mm-hmm. I need a hug or something Mommy like loves that? you and mommy needs a hug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's terrifying. Can you imagine if that was the only thing you could express and you were in stuck in a teddy bear? Well, there is a, you know, I think it's like locked in disease or something like that. It's a rare malady where you're basically your body shuts down, but your mind is still perfectly active and you can't right. do anything or indicate that you are still conscious. Oh, it's just horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. And yeah, and that's kind of what we had here. But uh, I liked the, uh, just as a quick note, I liked the solar charging tech for her car. She pulls up in yep. this old car you know, she's out in the desert somewhere and she gets out of the car, pulls out a little solar charger from the back, plugs it into her car. And then she's got a couple hours to kill while the car recharges and they don't even make a big deal out of it. It's just the way it is in this universe and nice touch. Yeah. I thought she pulls into a defunct gas station to do it too, which is awesome. That is awesome. That's true. <laughs> she just needs somewhere to park. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, the, the third storyline in this one is what we're seeing kind of in the present here with uh, this, this woman. And she's there because in the museum is a hologram of her father who is repeatedly being, who was in jail and is now repeatedly being tortured as a hologram in the electric chair. Basically the museum guy has made him an exhibit there and people can come and turn on the electric chair for 10 seconds. Um, as as they want and torture this poor guy so she's there to get revenge and ends up turning it around on the museum proprietor and getting him stuck inside her father's head and uh and putting the electric chair on until they both actually die right so it's a yeah it just kind of combines all of the other stuff into one uh you know you know, now that you describe it that way, it uh, it makes more sense to me. To me, this whole thing was uh, akin to uh, if you're mad at somebody, you take a picture of them and then you burn it, and then you print out another copy of the picture, and then you burn that. Who does print that? Out another exactly. It just it seems kind of silly. That that's why I had an issue with this last one. But when you put it in the context of uh, these consciousnesses are sentient people Mm -hmm. inside an electronic medium. If you take a sentient person, put them in an electronic medium, and then you torture them, it's still torture. Absolutely. I think think now that I've talked myself out of disliking this third story. Oh, good. Good. So it can go both ways with you. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not stubborn. I am stubborn, but I'm reasonable. (laughs) To my own arguments. <laughs> sure. I can change my mind with the best of them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Flip flopping. No way. Uh, and you know, I, I, I liked this one quite a bit. 
I thought uh, I didn't mind the the concept that she was there just for revenge because this guy had done some horrible things to her father. He was torturing this poor, poor guy. And she comes there to, you know, release her father from this pain, but also, well, I guess murder the guy, the uh, um, museum guy and sort of get him, give, get him, give him what he deserves for doing this. Uh, and then, you know, she gets back in the car, she takes the teddy bear. So she's got the woman in the teddy bear and it's revealed that her mother is in her head as a consciousness in there. So she was kind of acting with her mother to, to, uh, to, uh, release her father from her father and her <laughs> mother's husband from his pain. <laughs> if that oh makes my God, sense. that's even worse than having my lovely wife inside my head all the time. Can you imagine having your mother inside your head commenting on everything you're doing in life? Well, how do you do- Every second of every day. I mean- Chris. Humanity would have have gone extinct long ago if that's how it worked. (laughs) We wouldn't have, you know- (laughs) So I'd be like, get it out, 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 get it out. Until you just get it out and you throw yourself right off a cliff. Well, I don't know if suicide would be the answer, but it would never come to it because anybody, if anybody ever said, hey, we're going to put your mom at who's almost, who's on death's door inside your mind in order to have her remain alive and with you and commenting on everything you do forever. I'd be like, yeah, it's time for her to die. <laughs> it's time for, that's horrible, man. <laughs> but it is horrible. It is horrible, true. but you know, you know, maybe it's her time. Yeah, maybe it is. If, you know, if I don't do anything and she dies, it sounds like her time to me. Sounds like it's uh time has come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to say about this episode is it's another example, and this to a lesser extent, uh, of, of a show sort of giving you clues along the way as to what's going on. You know, this is a little more literal in a way because they're, you know, the second story is literally about the technology that is involved in, in the sort of, in the final story. But I realized when watching it a second time, right at the beginning, She's driving along and she's on the radio is, is the song always something there to remind me playing. And even the title of that song is kind of relevant to the plot of this episode. And if you listen to the lyrics, you'll always be a part of me because there's always something there to remind me, you know, it's, it's, it's giving you information about the episode, but you don't realize it at the time. And I just think that's extremely clever and well done. And I applaud everyone involved. Yes. So excellent work. Excellent, excellent work. And that is Black Mirror season four. You know, if you have any interest in science fiction or just shows that deal with technology and its effect on society and people in an interesting way, check this show out. Um, I imagine you probably have if you've listened to all of this right now, but you've if you did and you feel like you've been spoiled on season four at least you've got seasons one to three you could go back and watch and there are some absolute masterpieces in season one to three um off the top of my head san junipero from season three is freaking amazing nosedive from season three is really amazing um the entire history of you from season one is fantastic white christmas is fantastic um the only advice i would give 
is don't don't feel you have to start with season one episode one it's called the national anthem and i'm not gonna say don't watch it but i know a lot of people have watched that and it's turned them off on the whole show and i watched first the first season of black mirror and disliked it immediately is it, i did not like black mirror until we went back and we watched uh, uh white christmas huh okay and you went back and watched everything after that right i did yeah. yeah. So I, again, season one, episode one, it's, it's extremely easy to be turned off by the whole thing on with that episode. So give it a chance, but maybe start with episode two or the entire history of you, which is brilliant in my opinion. So then, and then once you're in and you're on board, go back and watch season one, episode one, because it's a thing that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I might go back and try the first season again. I've not watched it a second time, so okay. I might go back. Well, take my advice. Watch episode three, then two, and then one. Okay. All right. I will, it, I will take that under advisement, Mr. Fairhurst. Yeah, yeah. The, the crazy thing about episode one is, you know, it deals with the subject matter, and that's that many people find objectionable, and that's why it turns them off. But not too many years after that came out, something happened in real life that was more or less similar to that episode and that's all I'll say. So it's not that far (laughs) out of the realm of possibility. So anyways, that is going to do it for this podcast. Stay tuned after the end for a brief after hours segment. Uh, Jason's going to surprise me with something he wants to talk about. And then I've got something I want to just discuss really quickly. Uh, But that's coming up after we finish here. We will be back uh, probably at least in a couple of weeks with another uh, episode of the podcast, getting caught up on the news. And by then we will be, you know, probably two weeks out, maybe three weeks out from the return of The Walking Dead. So we'll have to start gearing up for that again. But in the meantime, if you would like to contact us, you can visit our website at TalkingDeadPodcast.com. And uh, you can use the send voicemail link at the top to send us a message. You can also just record stuff on your phone or whatever and send that in. That generally guarantees pretty good quality. And of course, don't forget about the Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Uh, so get those in as well. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or find us on Twitter at talking dead. And of course, you can always send all of your emails into talking dead podcast at gmail.com. All right. We will, I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode about Black Mirror. If you have any thoughts on any of those episodes, send in those emails. I would love to hear them. Um, And uh, otherwise, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Okay, Mr. Miles, what have you got for me tonight? I want to talk about Blade Runner. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen the new Blade Runner, but sure. Well, I've only seen the first 20 minutes of the new Blade Runner, but I want to talk about the original Blade Runner. Okay. 1982 film. So my wife and I, the other day sat down to watch Blade Runner 2049 or what have you, whatever it's called. And we sat down, we watched, we read the opening script, uh, and then the opening shot and we're like, paused it and said, you know what? We should go back and watch the original. Because she hadn't watched it in a long time, and I couldn't remember watching it, uh, you know, for a long time. So we went back, and we luckily have it in our library, and uh, started watching 
we watched all of Blade Runner, and a couple of things happened while watching Blade Runner. Can I can I the ask first you one is one question what? before yeah what's your question or, or make a comment just before you get into it? Number Please. one is I had heard that a solid um, understanding of the original movie or having it fresh in your mind when watching Blade Runner 2049, I heard was a good idea, sort of recommended by people. And that's a good thing okay. to do. So I've been holding off on watching the new Blade Runner until I have a chance to go back and watch the original again and refresh myself on it because it has been years, decades maybe, yeah. since I watched the original Blade Runner. So I definitely need to do that. And I guess that's all I was going to say. Uh, so okay. because I'm I'm now worried that you're going to tell me that it's not a good movie. Uh, but let why don't you continue? <laughs> so it, well, we had you know we had the same thought. We were started watching the new Blade Runner and thought you know we should go back and have the first the original Blade Runner in our heads uh, for uh, for the for the watching of this movie. And a couple of things happened while watching Blade Runner. One is. Uh, I've come to the realization that I don't think I've ever seen it before. Really? You just assumed you'd seen it. I, I know what happened. I may have read the book. Okay. Right. The Philip K. Dick book. Uh, but after watching this in, in its entirety, I don't think I've seen the whole thing before. I may have, but if I did, I have no memory of it. Uh, so I watched this movie and the second thing that, uh, that came to my realization is that I did not like it. Interesting. I, I just simply, there's, it, it's full of holes. First of all, like, uh, why would the Tyrell Corporation make enhanced robots that looked and acted just like humans? Like, why bother? Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to answer any of these questions because like I said, it's Fine. been 20 years since I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing is, if you are going to make enhanced robots that uh, look and act like human beings, why would you not build in an easy way to identify them? Why build in, you know, make it so that you have to have a series of questions with a specific uh, machine by a specific type of person and, uh, you know, read their uh, emotional thoughts or their emotional maturity through this test in order to determine whether or not they may be a replicant. Like fucking, why not just have them? So if you push, you know, both ears and their nose, their friggin' head lights up like, yes, I'm a replicant or a remote control, uh, you know, a, a universal button that people could carry that if you press the button, their head kind of opens up like a radar dish and goes, I'm a replicant. Hello. How can I help you? You know, why make it so freaking impossible not to be able to tell a replicant from a human? Yeah, but it strikes me as ridiculous. It, I agree with you, but that's one of the, that's one of the things about uh, robot sci-fi or one of the questions that these things ask when you have intelligent um, cyborgs or robots, the question is, are they human? And if you make them look human, that's an even more difficult question, Right. Right, but they're not made to be like humans. They were made to do things like be a soldier mm -hmm. or to lift heavy objects or to do repeated bullshit tasks that we don't want to uh, want to do or sex robots. At least the sex robots I understand make them look and seem human. Right. Right. That's the point. I mean, maybe not Daryl Hannah, but because <laughs> I've never been a fan of Daryl Hannah, but you know, human. Sure. <laughs> But that's kind of the point. I mean, we've, we invented them to do 
like let's just say we invented them to do or be things we don't want to be. I don't think soldier's a good example, but you know, lift heavy stuff because we don't have to, fair enough. <laughs> well, Rutger Hauer was a soldier, right? Yeah, but I'm just I'm just he, trying to say that that was his cast, and then the other guy was a uh, uh, you know a, a lifter loader type guy. Like all he did was lift 400 pound loads all day long. Sure, like he was strong guy. Why the hell would he need to look human? Because we create Why? things in our own image, right? We one of the challenges, frankly, even in the real world today, is to create. Um, to create an animatronic being that looks and behaves like us. And so I think, I think it's just a weird thing that humans do. We try to create things in our own image that look like us, that can behave like us, and then inevitably think like us. And that's when you get into the problems of, are they sentient? Are they human? Are they going to take over? Are they better than we are, right? And so it's all those questions that lead us down the path of robot apocalypse and that's that yeah and and that's all fine and good but they don't have to look human they can act human they can be intelligent they can be sentient they could be everything that you are describing there's no reason for them to look human. yeah i know but i think it comes as a package deal when you when you add all those other human type things you just can't help but make them look human as well even though there's no reason for it they do well that the Tyrell guy with the weird glasses, I think he has a screw loose because, you know, if he's doing this just to make it, make him look human, uh, there's obviously something wrong with him. Mm. And I don't know. It just, it didn't make any sense to me. Like just a series of decisions to get to the point where these four or six actually replicants get back to earth and we can't tell them apart from other humans is ridiculous. First of all, don't make them look human. Second of all, if you're going to make them look human, Make an easy way for them to be identified or a remote off switch. God damn it. Like <laughs> Some just sort like of instead of having phrase. to hire a whole group of people called uh, Blade Runners in order to retire these replicants, just have some guy running around the planet with an off switch randomly going click, 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 click. And then if people start dropping, you're like, wow, there's a lot of replicants around here that are right. not allowed to be here. Is that what the term Blade Runner refers to? Yes. That's weird because I. I was just reading the Wikipedia page for it, and it says, in the film Blade Runner, the term is never explained. Well, okay, maybe it's referred, it's explained in the opening blah, blah, blah of uh, Blade Runner 2049. Huh. And that's where I got it from, because I think it's explained exactly in the first 50 seconds of, this, of the movie that I just spoiled for you. I apologize. No, that's okay. To be fair, I am reading the Wikipedia page for the novel The Blade Runner, which was not Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, although the title of this film was taken for the movie. But it does say... Um, so somebody suggested Blade Runner is a preferable title to the early working titles Android and Dangerous Days. In the film Blade Runner, the term is never explained. Huh. Anyways, so maybe it's 2049, but... Yeah. How did you like 2049? I didn't, well, we didn't watch all of it. We watched the first uh, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour last wow. night. We're like, okay, we got to go to bed. Right. Okay. You know, it was almost nine o'clock. Well, I've heard it's a fantastic movie. So I'm, I am looking forward to watching it, but I'm still going to go back and watch the original. Um, well, from what I've seen of 2049, I really like it. And I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it and I'll probably do that in the next couple of days. Yeah. Uh, but, okay. So the, the other problem I have is the sexual assault of uh, Harrison Ford on, uh, what's her name? 
Sure. And I've heard that criticism too, of course. Uh, it's especially, I guess, relevant in the current climate of society we're in. She goes to leave. He blocks the door and shuts it. It's like right there. It's like, okay, it's sexual assault now time. It's, yeah, yeah you got to, you know, and then he basically forces her against the the window and then says, t- tells her what to say in order to make it okay for him to rape her. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, kiss me and then say, I want you. And she's forced to say, I want you. And she makes her say it again. And then they cut away like they are having a love affair. Mm-hmm. It's just like, holy fucking shit. That yeah. was graphic <laughs> sexual <laughs> assault. Dude, do you think that should be cut out of the movie and the film released without it? Uh, I think that's a difficult question because I It is a very difficult question. It's the same difficult question I have with uh Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or Bill and Ted's No, yeah, Excellent Adventure is the first one, Bogus Journey is the second one, Correct. as well as Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles uses the N-word left, right and center. Mhm. Uh but is that okay? I don't know, but they kind of, you know, race is a theme in that movie, like the, uh, the, you know, turning, uh, race expectations on its head. Like that's one of the points of the movie. So maybe it's okay in Blazing Saddles, maybe, and you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they say, uh, you know, I tried rewatching that movie and as soon as it got to calling each other retards, I like, okay, I'm out. I can't, I can't do it. I mean, it might be okay to not, uh, you know, to leave the movie as it is, but I'm uncomfortable watching it now. So I'm out. Yeah. Uh, I, I, they also use the word fag a lot in that movie. Yes. Fag. And it's so, yeah, I just, it just basically at that point, I'm like, I can't, I can't sit through this again. It's completely okay for you to be uncomfortable watching it and not want to watch it. I completely respect that. Everyone can make their own decision on that sort of thing. I don't know if it is appropriate to, and, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. And I, I don't know. This is just the question that comes to mind when you, when you go back and watch, uh, movies from the past. Like, I don't know if it would be, because I don't think, what I'm saying is I don't think it would be appropriate to re-edit a film and re-release it and modify the original version to meet today's standards of appropriateness because you can be doing that until the end of time and ultimately end up with something that is no better or far worse than it was when you started. Uh, and you see how badly that movie treated fish. They were eating fish left, right, and center. We got to get rid of those scenes because now it's not okay to eat fish anymore. No, because we've, you know, overfished the seas and there's nothing left and that's taboo now, right? Like, where does it end? So I think- Okay, so I I agree with you that editing the movie in order to take that out is not necessarily the best thing to do, but I also agree with you that I have a choice to not watch this movie anymore. Totally. Absolutely. I didn't like it. So, and B- uh, it's, yeah, I just, I don't think I'll be watching Blade Runner again. That's fine. Fair enough. You, you have that right. And, uh, hopefully Blade Runner 2049 is really good and doesn't offend you in any way. Uh, I do. You know, there's a scene in the original Star Trek where, uh, Kirk, uh, <laughs> you should look it up. It's funny. There's this alien lady and he gives her a great big kiss. And then as he's pulling away, he punches her and knocks her out. <laughs> it's funny because it's ridiculous. It, the, the punch is obviously, you know, fake. Uh, it doesn't matter just, though. It's, it's the intention. It's so is, Captain Kirk, right? <laughs> I know, but 
<laughs> it's so wrong, it, but it's 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 hilarious. But it, it also it's so ridiculous. It also just goes to show that everybody has different standards for what's funny versus what's offensive. And uh, right. you know, Harrison Ford and Blade Runner is terribly offensive. It's hard to imagine anyone would think that was okay or funny or whatever. But you can't say that there isn't somebody out there that feels that way. But Harrison Ford and Empire Strikes Back is basically sexually assaulting Princess Leia as well. There's one scene where she's working on something. I know. And he walks up to her and eight times I watched that. There was a video on masculinity and masculinity on YouTube that I watched eight times. She tries to get away from him and he won't let her. Yep. She tries to say no, doesn't work. She says that, you know, tries to leave. It won't work. She pushes him physically, man pushes him away yep. when he's trying to get close to her. She, he still doesn't do it. And eventually she has to sneak off when he's distracted. Right. It's in the Millennium Falcon. He grabs her hand. He won't let go of it. You know, she says, my hands are dirty or whatever. You know, I, I know the scene totally. Yeah. But for, but I'll bet you that to, that probably doesn't feel as egregious to you as the Blade Runner thing. No, because that scene didn't end up in essentially what ends up being rape in this mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Uh, I re- she gets away. Yeah. Uh, totally. Um, but, but the idea behind it is the same. You know, he is, he's exerting power over her, trying to take advantage of her. Uh, yeah. and you know, I don't know. I, anyways, I, I think it comes down to people, <laughs> you got to make up your own decisions on stuff and, uh, you have every right to not watch something or watch something and then shout to the world that this is not okay. And, uh, that's that. So I guess the only thing I wanted to really, the reason I wanted to bring this up is that I'm surprised by two things. One, I'm surprised I never saw this movie before. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it kind of freaks me out. Like maybe I did watch it and forgot it. Maybe. I don't know. And uh, the second thing is I'm surprised I didn't like it. Well, our, you, know, our, you know, sexual assault scene aside, I did not like this movie. Which version of it did you watch? Director's know. Cut, Ultimate Edition, or Theatrical? I have no idea. Okay. I didn't say. <laughs> well, <laughs> apparently one is considered the definitive version that's like the best. So when I watch it, I'm going to try to figure out which one that is and, and put it on. Uh, but maybe I'll try to do that soon because I'm, I'm curious now. Yeah. Anyways, so. That, that's it. Thank you for your time. That's it. Well, the, what I wanted to talk about really briefly is the fact something far less, um, potentially, uh, controversial <laughs> is right. that I, when I was in Chicago, I bought a pair of those Apple AirPods, the Bluetooth oh, wireless yeah. earphones. Um, I was a little nervous going in because I'm like, are these going to stay in my ears? Am I just going to wear them on the bus and then get up and they'll fall out and they'll be gone forever? And I was a little concerned well, about you, that. You might swallow them. You might actually well. stick them too far up your nose. Because I know you like to stick small things up your nose, but sometimes things can get lost in there. It, it can. So, that, you know, it's yeah. tough. It's, it's, it's troubling. It is. So there's a lot of things can go wrong with these, but I bought them anyways, thinking I'll try them out. The lady in the store said, you got 14 days to return them if you don't like them so I can use them for really? a week. Really? In your ears and they let you return them? Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it's just good customer service. They want people to go away know. happy. I don't is think they- better or worse than 
buying underwear and then returning it because it doesn't fit. Well, usually you have a no return policy on underwear. I don't know that Apple resells these. Do they refurbish them? I don't know. It doesn't matter. She told me I have 14 days. Well, it just, it strikes me as weird that they would have a return policy for something you would stick in a friggin' orifice in your head that knowingly, you know, accumulates grossness at, Look, over time. I don't know. Maybe I, I see what you're saying, but I think they just have to. When you when you spend 160 bucks on something, you got to have some recourse if you've decided you've wasted your money. Anyways, I've had yeah, them for I'm one sorry. day. Yeah. <laughs> got back from Chicago on Saturday and didn't go to work on Sunday, so I didn't have a chance to use them. But today I used them riding the bus in the morning and then riding the bus at home in the evening. And of course, walking to the bus stop and all these things I have to do every day. And overall, I think they're pretty good, but I still have them. I still have them, but I'll get to that. (laughs) I'll get to that. Um, I think they're pretty good. I am worried about them not staying in my ears. They do. They do not feel snug in there. I don't know if I have especially large ear caverns, but they just don't feel snug. That being said, under normal circumstances, they never fell out. Um, but I am going to look into third-party options because I know there are some products out there that you can like put on them to make them stay a little better and stuff. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, um, painter's tape. Yeah, something like that. We'll Just see. Just get a couple of pieces of blue tape from Home Depot. <laughs> Strap them around your my ears. head. They'll stay in. Sure. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. What I do like about them is the way they work. I mean, to me, I don't listen to a lot of music, to be fair. I listen to mostly podcasts, so they sound just fine. I do think they're very cool in the way they work. If you're walking around and you're listening to something and you take one out, it automatically pauses what you're playing because it has sensors to know when it's in your ear and when it's not. And then when you put it back in, it just resumes playback, which was very cool, I thought. So when you walk up to the coffee shop and you get to the front of the line and you need to order, you just pop one out. You can talk to the person, order your coffee. They can give it to you. You pop it back in and you don't have to touch your phone. You don't have to do anything. It just starts and stops. If you take both out at once, it stops playback instead of pausing it. So it assumes you're done, like you're home, you take them out, you put them on your desk and you're good, right? So I thought that was very cool. That was a neat feature I didn't know going in. So I really liked that. Um, You can tap them. If your phone rings, it'll ring in your ears. You can tap the one twice to answer the phone, which is cool. And just talk on the phone. And I, I got two phone calls today while, while, uh, wearing them, which is unusual. I don't get that many calls. So I got a chance to test that out. So overall, I, I'm quite happy with them as long as I can figure it away, just feel a little bit more confident about them staying in my ears. However, here's the thing that did happen today. I'm walking home. Uh, we got a bunch of snow in Toronto today, uh, in the afternoon and during the like commute home. And it's just a little below zero today. So it was pretty wet snow coming down, but it was cold enough that it was accumulating on the ground. Uh, and on the roads, no salt trucks had been out, no plows had been out yet. And so cars had been driving and on side streets where there isn't a lot of traffic, the cars weren't really melting the snow. They were just kind of packing it down a little bit with the tires. So they were packing it down into this very dense, extremely slippery, icy surface on the roads. Right. Very yep. treacherous driving uh, situation today on the way home. I wasn't pack driving. Ice, I think they call it. What? Pack ice. Pack ice. Sure. Fair enough. I haven't heard that term, but mm-hmm. sounds sounds right. So I wasn't driving. I was walking. So I'm crossing the street like half a block from my house. 
uh, I'm crossing. There's a car waiting right there for me to cross. I step into one of these sections of pack ice. My feet go right out from under me, down on my ass, right in the middle of the side street. Um, Did you get applause? No, hilarious. I'm sure Some it was. people will applause when you know that happens. I, I'm sure it was super funny. I did not hurt myself, really. I landed kind of on my butt or on my side, and I'm fine. Uh, but of course, the lady's waiting for me. I get up. I take a few steps to continue crossing the street, realize that I've only got one earphone in. And I'm like, oh my God. And they're I, white. They're white, and it was snowy. And I'm like, oh my God, I just bought these. I've worn them for one day, and, it, <laughs> and it's gone forever. And I'm, I'm such a giant loser. So I. I only get a couple steps. I realize it's there. I turn around. The lady hasn't started driving yet. So I put my hand up to stop her because <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh my God, she's going to go run over it. And, and my, you know, it's going to ruin my whole month, not just the day. And so I start looking around on the ground in front of the car. She's sitting there and she rolls down her window and says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But I, I lost a headphone. And she says, oh, no, that's too bad. Take your time. And now there's another car behind her. So I'm like, oh, this is right. this is not going to end well. But she says, take your time. And she turns on her high beams for me to give me some more light to see. Nice. And I'm looking around. And I think it only took about 10 seconds. And I found it. There it was. Luckily, there wasn't like eight inches of snow and it was buried yeah. under it. There was maybe an inch at most and because it was packed down the earphone was sitting kind of on top of it so i found it before she ran over it i picked it up and i said thanks and i went on my way and uh it still works which is nice it didn't nice. like get wet or anything like that so um everything ended happy but uh i did you know feel like a giant loser and um that's the way it goes but nice lady for not running over my headphone or me <laughs> yeah well canadians yeah, which is uh, which is really nice. That's so that's good that you found it. That's I guess that's a big concern for uh, Canadians is that uh, you got to wear these in the snow, and if they fall out, uh, you know, the snow is white, and so are the headphones. So would it defeat the purpose if you tied little strings to them? Like you tie a little <laughs> that, string to each one, just in case they fall. Might look really weird, like a little string with like a loop over my ear or something. Yeah, just, no, like a little white, tie a little white string and then uh, put the string into your pocket where your oh. phone is and then tack that down or tie it to your phone so that, you know, they're tethered. Sure. No, that would be sort of dumb. I don't think, I think that would defeat the purpose. I really like the no, the no wires. It is, it is, it is liberating. I'll tell you, it is totally oh, freeing. I've, I've, uh, I've done something similar. Like that's why, uh, I bought a, a Bluetooth earpiece, right? And I always buy, uh a Bluetooth earpiece that has, um, I forget the protocol, but it allows you to pause and start, uh, your audio recording. Mm -hmm. and I always listen to, uh, like I never use actual headphones anymore when I'm doing anything. I always have the Bluetooth earpiece in, uh, so that I can, and like you, I only listen to audio books and podcasts. I don't listen to music necessarily. So I only have it in one ear, which is fine. Mm -hmm. So I can hear out the other ear and, uh, the, earpiece that I have has a little plastic, like a little rubber thing that fits in my ear and it'll stay in no matter what. Like when I put it in my ear, it just, it's there and it stays there and it's comfortable to the point where I forget that it's there. If I turn it off and I'm just <laughs> you know, running around the house or doing whatever, I forget that it's in my ear. It's a convenient place to store it when I'm not using it because I know it's going to be there <laughs> right. instead of rattling around in my pocket. And yeah. I love it. 
So, but having two of them, I think, would be nice as well. And I love being wireless. I friggin' yeah. hate headphones and wires, and I don't like Apple headphones because they don't stay in my ears. A good test for these, I don't know if you did it yesterday or today when you, uh, when you had them, is eat with them in. Oh, yeah. When you go, go eat something, uh, you know, preferably KFC, because oh, uh, when no you're thanks. eating KFC, your fingers are extremely greasy. And you don't want to touch anything. <laughs> and if your earphones out fall out, you're going to know it because you're going to have to not touch them because uh-huh. your hands are so gross and disgusting with KFC grease on it. So yeah, that's my, uh, that's my trial by fire. If you can eat KFC with these things in your ear and they're still there at the end of your, let's call it a meal, then, uh, then you're good to go. Loosely call it a meal. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I've never had problems with traditional Apple earbuds staying in. I've used them many times. So these are a little, these, to be honest, these feel a little more glossy finished to me. Apple loves to make things glossy and slippery. So I think average size ears, they probably are a little snugger. Maybe mine are just big. I don't know, but you're right. I'll try eating tomorrow or maybe tonight with them and see what happens. Uh, The only time it fell out was when I fell down. Um, I don't hold that against the earphone though. Um, the earbud, I mean, but, but they did feel like they were going to come out as I, you know, rode around and walked around and rode the bus and stuff like that. So we'll have to see, but initial impression is I really like the way they work. I'm just not confident. I'm not going to lose them. So. Right. Well, yeah, a little piece of painter's tape on each ear. Yeah. Little blue ears. Never hurt anybody. No. You know, get some of that frog tape stuff. Or a binary epoxy, if you really want to get them stuck in there. Crazy glue would work <laughs> because crazy glue really bonds to skin really well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those stuck, those will be stuck there for a, uh, a good long time, if yeah. not forever. Nobody take Jason's advice, except for the tape that you could probably try. Yeah, the tape is fine. You know, if you, if you get a cut, you can use crazy glue to glue it together. I know. You know I did. Yeah. I mean, it's I not hope. recommended because they put chemicals in there that are not good for you. They make specific surgical or, you know, medical glue. Uh, quality crazy glue to glue your goddamn skin together when you yeah. get a cut. Yeah. So. It's crazy. <laughs> it sure is. Hence the name. All right. Well, that's all. I'll, uh, maybe I'll update everyone if I, uh, if I find a I'm way interested. to keep it in my ears. I'm interested because I was thinking of, uh, you know, would it be worth getting those? Cause they're a couple of hundred bucks. Like, good Lord. They are. I a, paid 159 US plus Illinois state tax came to about 165 or 170 US or something like that, which is still a pretty good deal considering how much they are up here in Canada, but they're not yeah. cheap. Yeah. No. So, you know, I can get, uh, I just, uh, after two years of my old Bluetooth ear, earpiece, I just got a new one and they paid $39 for it. Sure. And it stays in my ear, but it's only one ear and I, uh, I have to pause and I don't, can't just take it out and it'll pause. It's a really nice feature. I It is like, a nice feature. It's, it's, had I known that I might've even got them sooner. Like it's a really, really cool feature and I'm really happy with it. So I'm going to make these work somehow. If anyone has any tips, any hacks on making them stay in your ears a little bit better, uh, let me know. But I do know there are some products out there that you just wrap onto it and it, it adds a, one of those curvy blade looking things that kind of goes in, oh, in your ear. Oh, didn't so. come with those? No, Apple. They, my ear, my, my friggin' uh, $39 Bluetooth earpiece came with one. Well, you know, Apple, man. 
<laughs> I, I, well, I'll yeah, be honest a with little you. piece of plastic. I've, I know they could have charged an extra $39 for it for the fucking little piece of plastic that cost them uh, less than a cent to manufacture. I've been, I've been an and Apple. And they got to modify the packaging to fit it. I've and they been wanted an, it to be really small. <laughs> yes, I know. I've been an Apple fanboy for a long time. My whole home system is all Apple. I got an Apple TV. I buy shit from iTunes. I've, I've, I've only ever had iPhones since, I don't know, they almost since they first came out. I didn't own the original one, but I you know, that's well, it. The Canadian, original Canadian one, which was not the original. Right. But I've had an iPhone. I've had three or four iPhones now. You know, we we have iPads in the house, MacBook, iMac. I'm sitting in front of right now. Everything, everything is Apple almost. But lately, I'm a little disillusioned because of shit like this. Like, yeah, they could have put a three cent thing in there to to make the headphones more universal. Um, uh, the whole battery thing in iPhones is driving me crazy. Like my iPhone six. I know it's two years, three years old. I've had it for two. It's almost unusable at this point. So I'm going to go get that 29 or $39 battery replacement um, just to get more life out of it. But I shouldn't have to do that in my opinion. And it kind of pisses me off. So, well, the fact that it doesn't have a removable battery is also very Apple. Oh yeah. But it, I mean, the iPhone hasn't since day one. And no, but that's very, you know, every other phone on the planet, you can take the friggin' battery out and get a new one if you want to. Most of them. And, and that didn't used to bother me, to be honest. I don't know why, but it, I also don't feel like they had this sort of like performance problem uh, with with older phones. And, and, and now, you know, they claim that they're purposefully slowing down the phones to keep a better user experience because they think uh, batteries that are degrading are going to cause the thing to crash. Well, you know what? There are better ways to deal with that, in my opinion. One of which is to, I guess, make a removable battery. But if you can't do that, let the user decide. I would take shorter battery life <laughs> than a than a compromised experience because I can recharge my phone as much as I want. I can't do anything about an experience that they've decided to slow down for me. So that's. Have you met Apple? You know, let the user decide. I know. Come on. I know. And and they've always been that way, but it just didn't get to me at first. So I don't know why it does now. This is just more important or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question about these headphones. Back to the headphones for a second. How do you charge them? Does it come with a charger or do you have to plug in like 16 cables? Comes with a little, a, actually a really nice little charging case. They 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 slot into two slots and they, they, they magnet click in, which is kind of nice. And then you charge the case and you can actually charge the case. So you don't have to plug it in while you're charging the earbuds. You can have the case has a battery. Yeah. I guess the case has a battery in it. And then the earbuds charge from that battery, which is cool. So I like the case. The only thing I'll say about that is I find it difficult to grip them, to pull them out of the case because my fingers are too big. (laughs) Two, two sausage fingers. Yeah. Um, so the case, does it have the little lightning bolt? It has a lightning port on it. Yeah. So you can plug the case in while you're sitting at your desk at work, or you can put them in it and plug the whole thing in like overnight, every night. Right. Does it Uh, come with a lightning bolt cable? Uh, yes, it did. Yeah. But I've got millions of them already. So, um, uh, I don't know what kind of actual battery life I'm going to get out of them yet though, because I've only used them for the one day. Uh, but I imagine it's got to be more than one day. These things can't use up battery that fast, but we'll see well, how what's, that goes. Uh, what's the, what's the, the listed battery life? I don't know. To be honest, I didn't check. 
but I'll look it up. Okay. Well, I get I get seven. I get a good solid seven hours out of my Bluetooth headset of actual use, like seven hours of listening to a book. Huh. Whereas I can get, uh, I you know, if I'm not doing anything on standby, I can get three four days. Oh, interesting. Easy. Um, but you know, the, the device is on, but I'm not using it. I yeah. get three days. Yeah. But if yeah. I listen to it solid, I get I get a good seven hours. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what Apple lists as theirs. It's got to be gotta be that much you would think and this is a 39 dollar piece of equipment sure <laughs> yeah this thing was only <laughs> <Right>. almost 200 <laughs> so all right let's uh, get the hell out of here yeah see you next time everybody uh, all right thank you <laughs>